So our scripture reading this morning, as Alan has said, is Hebrews 13, verse 15 to 25. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may God of peace, who brought again from the, de- from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing to his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to your brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I see if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. All right, this is it. Uh, We're finishing Hebrews. Um, I'm sad, I don't know about you guys, I, I genuinely get sad when we finish a big series like this, a significant one, a, a big book. Um, who, who knows when Village Church pastors will be teaching uh, another kind of verse-by-verse uh, series through Hebrews? Um, don't know. Could, could be the next generation of, uh, of, of preachers. Um, but we've got 65 other books to get through, so... <laughs> Um, it's okay. Um, and don't be too sad because we'll, we'll start um, a, a new series next week. We're going to be looking at Esther and essentially we'll be, we have the same message that Jesus is better. Um, he's all we have um, in this world. So uh, be prepared for more of the same. Um, and I hope you aren't, I hope you aren't finished with Hebrews. Um, I, I hope you read it dozens and dozens more times in your lifetimes um, I hope you're not done with it uh, because it's incredibly important. Um, as we've spent months in this book, uh, as we have gotten to know more and more about uh, this, this preacher, this author, and, and, and his audience, um, I think we have a lot in common with them. We can uh, essentially what he's writing to them because he, what he, he desperately knows they need to hear uh, this word, we desperately need it as well. Um, because we are like them, where we can start our Christian faith really great, can't we? Um, incredibly uh, impassioned and, and convinced about who Jesus is, uh, maybe willing to even go through some public reproach because of uh, we're so convinced about who he is, but we too can also begin to grow weary. We can get tired, can't we? Um, we can uh, be tempted to uh, fall away, uh, to become... Uh, kind of dull in our hearing and begin to drift as well. So we desperately need this book. So don't be done with it. Um, just one more time, let me uh, uh, give you the, the main exhortation of this sermon, of this letter. It's that we persevere in our faith. 
that we don't turn our backs on Jesus, that we don't go looking for some other uh, mediator, some other way to gain favor with, with God. Uh, don't turn your back on Jesus. Continue and, and persevere in faith uh, until the end. Press on, brothers and sisters. And, and here at the end of chapter 13, uh, the author's kind of given one last final push of that exhortation. He's continuing on with his main message. Um, one commentator said that the, the preacher's consistent exhortation and argument has been this, that, that Jesus is worthy of your faith. So place your faith in him and don't fall away. Um, or like we've given this, this uh, series the title, Jesus is Better. He's, he's infinitely better than anything or anyone in this world. So why would you go searching in other things and other people for what you can only find in Jesus? So don't turn away from him. Continue on um, and, and press on in the faith. So throughout the book, he's, he's been calling us to faith. He's been calling us to perseverance. He wants us to trust in Christ alone. He wants us to continue trusting in Christ alone. And he wants us to, to live our lives in light of that. Um, in chapter 13, he's showing us what that looks like to, to live a life in light of trusting in Christ alone. He's given us some examples and, and more exhortations of this life of faith. Um, I know last week, Andrew kind of made uh, through, to chapter, through to verses 16, uh, but I'm going to back up and start in verse 15 again. Um, so we'll overlap a little, but that's okay because they're incredibly important. Um, let me pray for us one more time before we continue. Um, Father, help us. Um, we need you. We need your help. Um, we need you uh, in this, this difficult race. And we've seen just how, how, how hard this path is. Um, so we ask you for help. We ask you for help just in this gathering. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Um, I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not wise enough. Um, uh, I don't have the power to do what only you can do. Only you can give blind people sight, can raise dead people to life. Um, so do what you can do, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're just going to break this last section uh, into three parts. We're going to look at verses 15 to 19. Um, that's his final exhortation. We'll spend most of our time there. Um, then we'll look at verses 20 and 21, where he gives this benediction. And then we'll really quickly look at verses 22 to 25 at the end. So um, let's look at that first part, verses 15 to 19, his final exhortation. I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 15. Through him then, who's him? It's Jesus. Through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. 
So that's his final, his last exhortation before he finishes his sermon. Um, And really we can summarize his words in those verses this way. That we as Christians ought to have loyalty to Christ. We as Christians ought to uh, reflect our loyalty to Christ. So remember all along throughout the last 13 chapters, uh, we are to persevere in our faith in Jesus. Um, In other words, he's saying, be loyal to Christ. Um, Have faith in Christ. Continue to believe in him and be loyal to him no matter what comes your way. Um, And in verses 15 to 19, he's saying we ought to reflect that loyalty to Christ in three ways, in our praise, in our obedience, and in our prayer. We ought to reflect our loyalty to Christ in our praise, in our obedience, and in our prayer. So let's look at those three things for a moment. Firstly, notice in verse 15, he calls us to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. He calls us to to worship God from our hearts uh, through our lips and in our lives. Um, and in verses 15 to 16, he, he really sh- kind of talks about three areas in which he wants us to offer up a sacrifice of praise. Firstly, he wants us to offer up a sacrifice of praise in our worship. Offer up a sacrifice of praise in our worship. So um, that's a strange phrase, isn't it? A sacrifice of praise. We don't really use that, that language uh, much anymore, but they would have been very familiar with that phrase because it's used a lot in the Old Testament. In the Psalms, uh, the psalmist would repeatedly call on God's people to offer up a sacrifice of praise, offer up a sacrifice of, of thanksgiving. But, but here in the, in, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, uh, in the New Covenant, the sacrifice of praise is, is quite different from the sacrifice of praise that the, the Old Testament uh, writers talked about. Um, and this is a sacrifice of praise uh, that, that is um, quite different. And the reason that it's different is he, well, he kind of gives us a hint at what he's getting at with the language he uses. He says, we're to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God and he tells us what that is. He says, that is from, from lips that acknowledge him. Um, so that's a, that's a lot different from the old covenant sacrifices of praise. Because in that Levitical system, you'd, how would you offer up a, a thank offering? With an animal. You, you'd, you'd kill a bull. You'd, you'd, you'd make some other sort of sacrifice uh, according to the ritual code. But here he's saying, that's not what God's after from you anymore with your sacrifice of praise. We're no longer talking about an animal sacrifice because remember the, the, the whole argument of Hebrews is that those things are obsolete. The, the, those animal sacrifices are, are useless anymore. They're obsolete and the reason he says they're obsolete, obsolete is because Christ has been offered up as a sacrifice once and for all. So he is the only sacrifice that there is. Um, in fact, those, those Old Testament animal sacrifices, they were only useful, they were only helpful for a time because they pointed towards Christ on the cross. They were only foreshadows of, of his ultimate sacrifice. But, but now, uh, on this side of the cross, now that he has been offered up once and for all, the, we are now to offer up a sacrifice, not of killing animals, but of a, a fruit of our lips that acknowledge him. That's what he's saying he's, he's after from us. In other words, it's, 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 it's through our worship, it's through our praise of God, which comes from a heart that has been changed by his once and for all sacrifice on the cross. Let me say that again. 
this offering up of this sacrifice of praise, it is through our worship, our praise of God, which comes from a heart which has been changed by the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God still wants your sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, but he's no longer after an animal sacrifice, which is great because that's bloody and is messy. He's now off, he's, he's after this offering of praise from our lips because of what he's accomplished on our behalf on the cross through his once and for all sacrifice. But in verse 16, he goes on and he says, I want you to offer up another kind of sacrifice as well. I want you to offer up a sacrifice of, of doing good, of good works. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good works and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we're to offer up a sacrifice of praise from our lips. And then he says, here's two other ways that I want you to offer sacrifices of praise to God. By doing good works and by sharing with others. By, by not treating what you have as yours, but as a way to help those in need. So we offer up a sacrifice of, of obedience and, and good works And we offer up a sacrifice of sharing and giving to others, giving up of the substance that the Lord has given to us for the sake of those who are in need. Um, Do you see what he's getting at here? He's he's talking about an offering of praise which involves your whole life. Angie talked about that last week. It's this whole life offering of praise. He's saying your offering of praise and your thanksgiving to God is not just about what comes out of your mouth. Although that's incredibly important that it does, it is the fruit of, of what comes from this, this heart that's been changed and results in praise coming from your lips. But he says it's not just that. Your, your praise to God isn't just what comes out of your, your lips. It's what you do with your life. It, it's also about your obedience. It's about your doing good and your giving to others. This offering of praise, he's saying, is both word and deed. And why do we offer these sacrifices of praise to God? He says, because they're pleasing to him. <laughs> because he finds them pleasing. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe finds you and what you do pleasing. They, they glorify him. That's why we do them. And, and I can honestly say, church, that there is nothing more powerful There's nothing more explosive in glorifying God than when this happens. There's nothing more powerful and explosive in glorifying God than when followers of Jesus not only sing praises of him with their mouths, but when they actually consider their earthly things, their earthly treasures, not as things that are theirs, but as tools to simply do good for others. There's nothing more powerful than that. Here's an example Andrew last week uh, mentioned that God had kind of miraculously um, given to them and, and provided for them. And I asked him, and I'm going to give you the details of what that is. Haley's been unwell over the past year. She's had tonsil problems. Uh, she's essentially had kind of tonsillitis over and over, over the past year or so. And I've had tonsillitis once, and it was dreadful one of the worst sicknesses I've had, and she's had to endure that kind of repeatedly through the years. It's been incredibly difficult. Um, it's been a blessing to watch my sister uh, depend on the Lord through that. Um, and they've gone to see doctors, and the doctors essentially say, her tonsils need to come out. 
Um, otherwise, this is going to continue to happen, and, and it has. Um, there's a long waiting list for uh, getting your tonsils out right now, COVID and, and whatnot. Um, there's a long waiting list. Um, so they went to have we consult with a private doctor, and that doctor said the same thing. Tonsils need to come out. Um, you can do that privately. It's obviously more expensive. You're talking a couple grand. Um, so then they prayed. They just asked the Lord, what do you, what do you want us to do? What, what are you doing here? Um, are, are you trying, do you want us to wait? Are you trying to, to teach us something? We learned about that a few weeks ago. There's, there's the Lord kind of disciplining us through hardships at times. Um, is that what you're trying to do, Lord? Or will you provide for us and help us? We don't have that. We don't have an extra three grand laying around. Do you want to provide that for us? Um, they didn't go and start a GoFundMe campaign or anything like that. They, they, they kind of shared that with a, a few friends. Here's what's going on in our lives. And literally within days, that group of friends had given them what they needed to get that operation done. How amazing is that? How glorifying to, to God is that? When the people of God consider their things not their own, but just simply as tools to help those in need. When the people of God consider their sister's well-being more valuable than what that money could do in their own lives. It's so glorifying to the Lord. Give God praise for what he's done. How his people respond to his sacrifice. And before we move on, I want to note... uh, a few very important things about these sacrifices of praise in verses 15 and 16. Um, You really need to understand these things. Firstly, it's important to understand that the kind of sacrifices that that he's asking us to offer here, they're only offered through Jesus Christ. Um, So those first two words at the start of verse 15 are so important. Through him then, Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer these sacrifices. So the only way we can offer sacrifices as Christians anymore is is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship is only through Christ. He's saying acceptable worship is only based on the once and for all sacrifice that Jesus has made. So these these sacrifices that we make in the new covenant, uh, they are in no way made in order to make us right with God. That, that's, that, that's not what they are, are accomplishing here. Um, as we've said, even in the, the Old Testament, those sacrifices were only acceptable because they were foreshadows of what Jesus would do, his one real sacrifice. So whatever he's calling us to do now, this is not a sacrifice that makes us right with God. That only happens through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. That is the only way for you to be reconciled to God, for you to be made right with him. This is Ephesians, isn't it? You are saved by grace, not the things that you do, not your works. It is a gift. So these sacrifices are in no way made to be made right with God. Therefore, he says, whatever he's calling us to do now, we must do through Christ. It is accepted in him alone. It's so important for you to understand that. And notice he, he points out another way that these sacrifices are, are very different from the Old Testament sacrifices because these sacrifices, he says, we offer them up continually, all the time. And let us then uh, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That's very different from the Old 
Testament uh, sacrifices um, because they were only occasional sacrifices. You you would maybe go down once a year and offer up a, a sacrifice under that Levitical code. But he says, this kind of sacrifice that I'm talking about is one you offer up all the time. It's a continual offering up of this praise. It's not every now and again kind of dipping in and out of worship, but every single day, all day long, continually offering up the sacrifice of praise. So again, it's a continual offering up of praise, both in your word and your deed. Um, Word and deed. Do you notice how these God-pleasing sacrifices kind of parallel the two great commandments that Jesus talks about when he's asked, what's the most important thing in the law? He's like, law can be summed up in two ways. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and, and love the people around you. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is calling us to do. He's saying live lives, that your, your whole lives in worship to God and in love to one another. We're to worship God with our lips and our lives, our actions, this, this heart worship should flow, and the result is doing good and sharing with others. Basically, he's expressing it beautifully. What, he's echoing what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, where Paul says, I appeal, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, he says, which is your spiritual worship. You want to worship God, offer yourself as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice in that way. He's saying, I want you to to, to give yourselves as a sacrifice since Christ has given himself as a sacrifice and has brought you back from the dead and has reconciled you. He's put you back into fellowship with God. I want you then to give yourselves back to the Lord as a living sacrifice. So he's calling us to a sacrifice of praise and a sacrifice of kind and loving actions towards one another. F.F. Brutes puts it this way. He says, Christianity is sacrificial through and through. It's founded on the one self-offering of Christ and the offering up of his people's praise and property, their service and their lives. That, those offerings are caught up into the perfection of his acceptable sacrifice and is accepted by him. Church, through Christ's once and for all sacrifice on the cross, you have been changed forever. You have been brought into fellowship with God and in fellowship with the saints. You've been changed forever, and that should result in a life of continually offering up the sacrifice of praise and worship, both in our uh, 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 from our lips and in our lives and in our actions. Verse 17. So this is still in that section where he's telling us what this life looks like, this life of ref- that reflects our loyalty to Christ. And he starts by saying, it's a life of continually offering up praise in word and deed. And then he says, it's also a life of obedience. I want you to offer up a sacrifice of praise. And then he says, and I want you to obey your leaders. I I want you to to obey your elders. Obey your leaders and submit to them for, this is why, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So he's calling us to show appropriate respect and submission to the, 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 um, the, the leaders that God has given us. Um, and this is a good thing. Paul talks about this in, in Ephesians 4. He says that one of the gifts that, that he has given to the church from the right hand of God is the officers of the church, is the, the, the leaders in the church. So he gave the, the church pastors and, and teachers, those who would lead in the congregation, those who would defend the flock in that way, who would care for the flock, have, have spiritual authority in the church. And, and he's saying that's a, that's a gift that I've given the church, and we see in here that it's a weighty calling. It's a serious responsibility. He says the Lord has given us elders who will have spiritual responsibility in the church on behalf of the congregation. And so the reason for the obedience given here is that these leaders will one day have to give an account for you. That's an awesome and a terrifying thought. That one day the the, the elders of of this church will have to stand face to face with Jesus and give an account for you. The author is saying, I want you, Christian brothers and sisters, to live in light of that fact. To live in light of the fact that those men will one day have to give an account on your behalf. So the motivation in this instance is that we remember what our elders will have to do one day. And these leaders are given charge, we're told, to to watch over your souls. So this is when you get that this is a gift this is a good thing. It's not arbitrary leadership. It's not, it's, it's, it's not self-serving for the, the, for the leaders, for the elders. It's, it's, a, it's for your benefit. It's for the care of, of your souls. Their, their purpose is to do their best to, to encourage us to walk with the Lord, to persevere in the faith, to not stray away. So the author says we ought to Gladly submit and obey so that the, the task of giving an account one day will be a joy and not a grief for them. And then at the end of verse 17, he gives like a little bit of extra reasoning for, their, for the obedience here. He says it's your obedience and your submission to, to good godly leaders. So that's important. He's, he, don't submit to bad leaders. <laughs> if you're under bad leadership, Get new leaders. Um, he's saying uh, your, your obedience, your submission to godly leaders, leaders who are actually leading with the knowledge that they will one day stand before Christ and give an account for you, that, that changes the way that men lead. He's saying uh, submitting to those kind of leaders is actually advantageous for you. It's a good thing. You should want to receive good, godly, God-fearing care for your souls. It's not always easy. Sometimes there's discipline involved. Discipline is not easy, but it's saying it's good for you. And he continues in verse 18. He says, we're to pray for our spiritual leaders. So this is the third way we reflect our loyalty to Christ, by, by praying. Um, I love that he's asking for them for prayer. Um, I love what that shows us about his feelings towards them. 
Now, similar to Paul, he, he, Paul requests this in, in his letters. He's always asking for prayer, always like wanting to be with, uh, with the people. Um, and, and so Paul does that a lot, but he does that alongside of some hard words, doesn't he? Paul has, has tough things to say to the people he's writing to. Two Corinthians is that way. It's a difficult, difficult letter. He says some incredibly hard things um, to that church in that letter, but even still, he appeals for that congregation to pray for him, um, and that's what the, the author of Hebrews is doing here, too. He's been quite frank with them, hasn't he? Um, I don't think he's been harsh, but he's, he's said some difficult things, but he's saying these things out of love and concern for them, and, and he shows them that he loves them, and he asks them for their prayers. Um, Philip Hughes, he's a commentator, he says this, He says, as a genuine Christian friend and mentor should, he has spoken very frankly of the perils which he sees to the spiritual well-being in this congregation. And he is sure that he has a clear conscience. He says that. Pray for us. We have a clear conscience. That means he's he's certain that that his his conduct in relation to them can stand in uh, under the the, the scrutiny of both men and God. He's this leader that understands he will one day give an account, so he has a clear conscience in, in how he's, uh, he's dealt with them. But the impulse behind his stern admonitions has not been hostility or an authoritarian desire to inflate his own reputation at their expense. He has spoken the truth in love and compassion, and that is confirmed by the fact that he appeals for them to pray for him. So the only reason he's spoken many of these, these difficult things to them is to, speak, to out of the, speak the truth in love to his brothers and sisters. And the very fact that he would say, pray for me, pray for us, you know, assuming he's, he's speaking of a broader group of pastor teachers here that have been ministering to them, he, he says, pray for us. It shows us that he has a clear conscience. He's spoken to the, them to truth and love. He's told them what he, he knows they needed to hear. But now he wants them to know he did it because his goal, his, his, his desire was, he says, to act honorably among them, act honorably in his treatment of them, and also to do them good. And he makes that even more clear by saying, I want to be with you. He, he, he makes his love clear for them by saying, pray for me. He urges them to pray all the more earnestly so that he will be restored to them sooner rather than later. Pray that I can, I can come be with you. Why? Because he loves them. Um, so the application of that section in, in, in this last exhortation, he asks us to live our lives as a sacrifice of praise in both word and deed. To live our lives, uh, he asks us to respect and submit our elders because they're good for us, because they're watching over our souls, because they will have to give an account for you one day. And he asks us to pray for those leaders because we love each other. And then he pronounces this blessing upon us. And we'll move to verses 20 to 21. He prays a benediction. A benediction is a prayer of blessing. Um, I just want to quickly dissect this, this blessing. Um, it has seven parts. It's, it's, it's quick, but it's, it's packed full of, of power, and, power and, and grace and teaches us a lot. So 
Um, it's a seven-part benediction, uh, and, and this benediction teaches us again what he's been saying, that it's by the blood of the eternal covenant that we Christians experience God's peace and his power, that it's the blood of the eternal covenant, it's the blood that Christ has, has poured out for us, by that we Christians experience his peace and his power. So quickly, let's look at the seven parts. Firstly, he begins by saying, now may the God of peace, um, this is called an invocation. And he's invoking the God of peace to do this blessing. Um, we, we, always do, we always end our gatherings with a benediction. We'll end with one today. And it's important to know that the person doing that benediction, in, in today's case, me, I have no power whatsoever to bless you. <laughs> I, I, I have no extra power that, that you don't possess to, to bless you. But what he's doing here is he's invoking God to do the blessing upon the congregation. He's invoking the Lord to display his, his grace and his peace and his power. He's calling on the Lord, the God of peace, and he's invoking him to give his grace to you all. So that's the first part. Now may the God of peace, that's his invocation. Uh, secondly, you have this phrase, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. That's a phrase of, of adoration. So it's this adoration of the God of peace. So he pauses and he, he says, let me tell you about this God of peace that I'm invoking to bless you. Let me tell you about this God of peace. He actually brought Jesus from the dead. <laughs> He brought from the dead this great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. It's amazing. He's saying, this is the God of peace that I'm calling upon to bless you, the one who brought Jesus from the dead. Next, he prays that the God of peace would equip you to do his will. He says, may he equip you with every good that you may do his will. That, that phrase, this next part, is his main petition. That, that's what he's asking God to do here that he would equip us that we may do his will. So you have the invocation, you have the, the adoration, and then you have the petition. That's his main request from the God of peace, that he would equip you to be obedient to him. I'll say more about that in a minute. Fourthly, he adds a, a supplemental petition to his main request, his main petition, by, by praying, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So he's specifying here what he's praying but he's highlighting that even those things which we do in accordance with God's will, God's spirit is working through us. So our sanctification, our becoming more like Jesus, our becoming more holy, our persevering to the end is not a matter of us simply pulling ourselves up by our, boot, by our bootstraps. Rather, it's this process of being sanctified by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and us committing ourselves to striving after Christ-likeness. I'll say more of that in a second as well. Fifthly, he says, through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus. So this is the, his basis for his whole prayer. That, that the God of peace would equip you and he would do it through Jesus Christ. Sixthly, we see a doxology. It's a little worship bit. To whom be glory forever and ever. He's talking about Jesus here, that, that through Jesus he would equip us, and because of that, Jesus will receive glory forever and ever. It's really important. So you're going to be doing some stuff, 
And Jesus is going to receive the glory for that because he's the one that's going to be empowering you to do that. Finally, seventh part, right? Yeah. Seventh part is the amen. This is the so be it. It's important to pray, to to say that at the end of the prayers. It's not a the end. It's a the Lord do as we have prayed according to your will. The amen. Seven parts uh, of a little benediction. Uh, It's a quick prayer of blessing, but it's packed full of power and grace, isn't it? We could do an entire sermon or series on this. But notice how he describes the Lord. He says he's the God of peace. I think he's talking about the peace of the gospel there. Um, because what does the gospel do for us? It, it, it reconciles us to God. It, the, the peace of the gospel turns sinners and, and enemies of God into his friends and his family. That's what the gospel does. He's speaking directly about the blood of the eternal covenant. That, 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 that blood of the eternal covenant, the blood that was poured out for you on the cross, uh, is the peace. It, it, it's the bond of peace that... But, uh, It's what forms the bond of peace between us and the Lord as Christ died for our sins and we trust in him. He's the God of peace. It's incredible. Um, He reminds us in the same sentence uh, of the very basis of the resurrection. I don't have time to get into this, uh, but do we study on this sometime? It's it's brilliant. Um, It's rich. The author's saying that it's, it's the, the power of the blood of the eternal covenant which brought again from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's kind of giving us a peek behind the eternal agreement between the Father and the Son. That, 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 that agreement that, that the Son would um, suffer on behalf of all of God's people and in light of that suffering, by right, He would be raised again from the dead. It's, it's the blood, it's by the blood of the eternal covenant that Jesus is raised from the dead. Incredible. Um, but the main thing I, I want you to grasp today, this is what I want you to go away with today, is I want you to be encouraged with his main petition in this benediction. Please understand what he's saying and what he's asking God to do for us. He's praying specifically that God would equip you, he'd equip us for holy living, that that God's power would be at work in our lives, equipping us for good things, that that, that God would be at work in us, that we might do his will. Do you see the two sides of this? That, That God would be in work at us, that we would be holy, and that we would desire to be holy doing his will. That's the will of God. The will of God is that we should will what God wills. That we would be conformed to him. That we would will what he wills. And so this prayer is a prayer that the the people of the congregation would be spiritually equipped for every form of good work. And thus fulfill God's will as he operates in them. Um, It gets a little confusing, but Lincoln Dungan says this is the beautiful picture of the synergism of sanctification. I know that's a big phrase. The synergism of sanctification. This is the the two parts of your sanctification working together. God at work in us and us seeking to do God's will. And he's saying both of those things are at work, but it's the power of God that undergirds our ability to do that which is pleasing in his sight. Let me say that again. 
God at work in us, us seeking to do God's will. But what's undergirding all of that is the power of God at work in us to do that which is pleasing in his sight. It's him working in us. It's him equipping us. It's him empowering us to do his will. That's the beauty of the new covenant. The old covenant was broken, wasn't it? God didn't break it. His people broke it. We broke it. God always kept his side of the covenant. We never could. Could never live up. We could never, it was never going to work. So what's the beauty of the new covenant? God does both. He fulfills both. So there's two parts of the new covenant. We've covered this back in Jeremiah 31. There's two parts of the new covenant. That God will forgive our iniquities. He's going to forgive us of our sins and he will remember them no more. The second part is that he will write his law on our hearts. That he will come in to us and change us from the inside out. That he will, he will be at work in us. He will be changing our affections and our desires. He will write his law on our hearts. So the beauty of the new covenant is that through Jesus Christ, God keeps his side of the covenant to forgive our sins forever. But then through Jesus Christ, Jesus comes around on our side of the covenant table and he empowers us to keep our part. He, he, he empowers us. He equips us for every good work and to do that which is pleasing in his sight. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so encouraging? B.F. Westcott puts it this way. Here's a real simple way to understand it. The work of God makes man's work possible. The work of God, what he does, makes our work possible. We couldn't do it without him. It's God at work in us that makes it possible for us to do these things. So not only is our justification, our, our being made right with God based on what Christ has done in his once and for all sacrifice on the cross, but also our, our sanctification, our becoming more holy, our doing good, our perseverance to the end is also based on what Christ is doing in us through the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see, your salvation is based on grace from beginning to end. I want you to be encouraged by that. I want you to see the good news in that. Because, here's why. Because if you're like me at all, at some point in this series, you'll have asked yourself the question, is it even possible? This perseverance to the end, this loyalty to Jesus until the end, no matter what comes my way. Maybe you, maybe you caught that at the end of chapter 11, the old Son and 2 section, and you thought, nah, not possible. Surely, I'm in the group that will fall away. It's too big, too hard of a task. I know the pressures of this world and it's too much. Surely I'm going to fall away. I want you to hear this prayer here. The author of Hebrews is saying, you're right. You, 
left to your own devices, your own power, you won't make it. But may the God of peace equip you to do it. Him changing your desires. Him changing your affections. All while you are keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's saying, you can do it. It is possible, not with your power, but with his. Isn't that so good? Isn't that so necessary? It's so crucial. It's our only hope that the God of peace would equip us. Just as we finish here, uh, he concludes with a few final words. And notice in verse 22, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. So he's asking us to, to bear with his teaching and bear with what he's, he's been teaching them through the last 13 chapters. Uh, that word bear means to, uh, to endure or to, or to kind of put up with. Um, so you get a sense that the preacher's a little nervous. He's a little concerned. Um, I think there's two reasons why, he, why he's feeling that way. Um, one kind of lesser, I think one greater. He says, I've written to you briefly. He kind of knows he's, get, he's getting on. I kind of feel that right now. And he's like, I know this is, this, I know this is longer than, um, bear with it, please. Um, I read that this sermon probably would have taken about an hour to read out to a congregation. So I'm not going to reach that. So you okay. It's not the longest sermon, uh, but he's aware of that. But I, I suspect that it's not necessarily the length of the sermon that he's concerned about as much as the content. Um, he knows it, it's been a tough sermon to receive. He's had to say several difficult things, these strong warnings to his brothers and sisters. I think even, even for us, there's been, there's been parts of this letter that have made me squirm a bit. If you've made it through this whole series and not felt uncomfortable once, you probably haven't been paying attention. <laughs> Some incredibly hard things that he said here. So the author basically says, bear with my teaching, even though it's been difficult. And so not all preaching is easy to receive, but it's, it's beneficial. So I, I want to ask you to, to take that on for us as well, even as we make our way through whatever kind of preaching comes next. Bear with it, even though it might be difficult. Um, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. Those things aren't always easy, but they're good for you. Why? Well, he says, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So how's he going to equip you? It's going to be through this teaching, these hard things. So he says, bear with it. It's good for you. We need it. Even the hard parts, it's how we'll be equipped for every good work. And then the last thing he says, he pronounces this blessing on them. The last thing he says is, grace be with you. Grace be with you. I don't think that's just a friendly way to end. I think he's purposeful. He says that on purpose. That word grace, it sums up all he's talking about. All of the blessings of this new covenant, this better way, 
this better covenant which Jesus is the only mediator of, grace be with you. So for you, brothers and sisters, if you have any doubts, if you have any questions, if you're like me and you've, you've thought, how on earth is it possible to persevere to the end? Grace be with you. By grace. Friends, when you fall, which you will, when you stumble, grace be with you. There's no more any condemnation for those who are in Jesus. There's no more guilt No more shame for those who fall. If you fall, get back up. Grace be with you. When you begin to drift away, may you receive the encouragement from your brothers and sisters. Grace be with you. When you become dull in your hearing, may you awaken up and start to pay much closer attention again. It's possible. Why? Grace be with you. By grace you have been saved, Paul says, but grace doesn't stop there. He's saying, may grace be with you every step of the way. It's been a blessing. It's a privilege, isn't it? Um, To have God's word and to study that together. Um, May he bless you, may he bless us. Um, as we attempt to walk in faith together to the end, um, we need him. Let's pray. Let's stand. We're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to eat. Oh, Lord, thank you for your grace. <laughs> thank you for your grace, Lord. It's the only way forward um, is by your grace. It's true. Um, there's no way for us to, to make it to the end. There's no way for us to persevere except by your grace. So may you help us. May you equip your people. May you help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. May you help us uh, exhort one another daily There's nothing more important, Lord. We want you to receive glory in our race. Thank you, Lord, that we have in you, Jesus, a sympathetic high priest who's at the right hand of the Father in heaven right now, and he knows how difficult this path is. He's he's walked it before. He knows the temptation. But, Lord, I thank you that that's not the end of that. That you don't, you don't just say, I know how hard it is, good luck. No, you empower your people. You send the Holy Spirit to, to dwell in us, to write your law on our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.